Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. In school, it's just not encouraged. We're crying out for young people to do apprenticeships. What you need to do is be on my side. But every time that it happens, we have to talk about how the good men feel. They sent me on for psychiatric assessment and they said that the thing that's going to fix it is housing. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Just over 11 hours now until himself arrives on the stage at Parquet Cueve. It's between eight and half past he goes on and it's two hours hit after hit after hit after hit. Trust me. And the screens and the video and the lights and as the place gets darker the show gets brighter. It's phenomenal. So just over 11 hours now until Ed Sheeran is back playing on Lee's side. Good morning to you, 0818 96 96 96. Start off with a word of congratulations to our friends at Nanonagel Place. They just received a huge award. It's the Council of Museum Prize. Uh, it recognises museums that uphold the Council of Europe's values, human rights and democratic citizenship. And for a, a project museum that's only open like a wet week in terms of museums, that's a massive achievement, so well done to everybody at Nano Nagel Place. Thursday morning, we have a lot to do. Uh, we will be talking about the Ed Sheeran gig. Maureen will be joining me. She's been down to all the briefings, what you can do, what you can bring, where you can go, where you can park, what you can't do, how you organise this digital ticket stuff. Talk about that with uh, Maureen later on in the morning. Uh, there's massive interest in a very distressing and upsetting trial. That's the trial of Karen Harrington, uh, accused and pleading not guilty to the murder of Santina Cawley. That trial continues. Her dad, Santina's dad, gave evidence yesterday, is continuing to give evidence today. We'll have a court report from that coming up. But we start also uh, in the courts and a man that I spoke to a number of years ago on the opinion line and yesterday there was some sort of closure I expect for the Dingevin family and their, uh, the family of 36 year old Julie Quinlan Dingevin she was only 6 weeks pregnant with her third child and she had to have a hysterectomy after being diagnosed with invasive cervical cancer and that I guess is where the nightmare began back in 2013 she died on April the 8th 2017, which is, what, five years ago now. And there was some level of closure in court yesterday. Um, Paul, uh, good morning to you. And again, I, condolences, even though we spoke before. Condolences on what your family continues to go through. Good morning. Good morning, Peter. Thanks very much. It's, it's an end to it. I, 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 can't, I can't say I feel like I've got closure, but look... Yeah. It is what it is now at this stage. Like, they're, they're just throwing money at things at this stage. Like, I think that's okay. Like, everything will go away. Yeah. Remind people briefly of, of Julie's story. Well, it's just kind of in the papers there. No, no, um, 
went for a smear test. It came back all clear, but years later we know that she cervical cancer. She um, battled it for four years. The very serious operations and treatments in Dublin and Cork and just didn't work for her really. Like she had the first test in two thousand and nine. And that came back as clear. Yes. And then the diagnosis came in 2013. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> Tell me a bit about her. What was she like, Paul? Well, everyone, everyone that met her, she was, she was infectious. Like everyone that met her, you just couldn't help but take to her and befriend her like you know she was just that kind of person she'd do anything for anyone mm. she'd go out of her way like for you in a heartbeat like mm. when did you meet sorry when did you meet oh just it would have been 20 years ago now right. um, she lived she originally lived across the road from my sister in Cork and I met her through my sister like yeah. so it's kind of instant really like we kind of went down one day and we just that was it like we just kept talking from there on and it just that was it there was no good time to receive such an awful diagnosis but it was doubly tragic because she was pregnant at the time she was yeah um we we were we were kind of trying we always said we'd have one more and so when she got the diagnosis, and we didn't know at that stage she was, but she went and done a test, and it, yeah, she was she was six weeks pregnant. So she had to have a, a radical hysterectomy where they they took everything. Like, oh my god, that's that's double tragedy, like. Yeah, stuff. Yeah. And did did they ever think, or did did you guys ever think that after all that, that she might actually make it, or? Yeah, there was, um, after the hysterectomy, she didn't need any treatment, they said. That the operation went great, they, they took, they took um, some tissue from around and they said it was all clear and they were very confident and positive about the outcome. Like, and then almost a year to the day she had a test, or a, sorry, a, a, she had an appointment where they just did an examination and he kind of felt something so she had to go for more tests and it turned out almost a year to the day that it came back like mm. and from there she kind of had different types of radiotherapy chemo we had to go to Dublin for special targeted radiotherapy and it kind of it shrunk and it was kind of we are getting kind of the impression that this is good and mm. the cancer tumours change and it looks like it's dissolving and all this kind of stuff but it, it never went away kind of it eased off but then it came back and then it just never stopped from there like yeah. kind of spread into around her stomach area and stuff Did you have moments Paul where you sat there and said Christ we, we, we might have this we might have a grip on Sorry? Did you have times <laughs> where you kind of said God we might have a hold of it now it might you know yeah, we did. After her treatments, or after the like, she finished her treatment the first time with the radiotherapy, and they were saying, "Oh, it's just shrinking everything. This is great." Like, so we went off to Spain and we got married and everything. Yeah. You know, we were just it was 
it was good news and stuff like we were getting like so we we actually thought yeah we have it like but no it just it came back then again just after progressing yeah Yeah, it comes back we hear so many cases um Vicky included and, and, and the other lady down in Kerry you know, it comes back with a flipping vengeance this thing it did yeah just kind of wreak havoc on her then like she had so much like outside of just the cans just the, 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 from the treatments alone she had so many complications and pains all over and in different areas and of course when, you, when, when you're like that she can't help but you're just worried and you're going for more scans on where you have a pain disease or something new after coming and then it's the worry and you're waiting for results from scans and everything like it's just, just horrible for you like. must, must be very hard to watch the, the person you love go through that sense of helplessness I guess Paul it is you, you try everything like I went and I I was buying, I was illegally buying cannabis and I was trying to make my own hemp oil and give it to her. I was putting it into capsules and I was looking up all these stuff on YouTube and how to do all this kind of crack. And like, I, I, I felt like I didn't, couldn't do anything else. Like, so I was just trying what I could. Like, yeah. But uh, no, nothing, nothing kind of helped really. It's, it's 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 just awful. Uh, like it was five, if, if five years ago, only the other day. How's how have those five yeah, years yeah. been? Yeah, it haven't been easy, you know. Like we, we're, we're like we're kind of still. We were denied kind of really the the right to grieve, you know. When this was kind of been going on so long, like yeah, and it's. Like we've been kind of myself and Ali have kind of really been left to ourselves. Like we've we've gone through counselling, we've gone through CBT, we've we've you know we've and Ali's still going through counselling. Like Ali's kind of having a tough time, but no, like more, no more so than back then. Really, like it's kind of she's getting older and it's affecting her. That her mum isn't there. Like you know, I know, I know. And you said you kind of hadn't had a chance to grieve properly do you think you'll get that chance now or I, do, I, I don't I hope so I, do, I don't know because I, I don't feel any different than before the settlement you know it's just it, like nothing has changed like, there's no one has said sorry I asked for I asked for as part of the settlement I said it, like I'd like someone to say sorry for this like but I haven't got it all I got was a letter from someone in the HSC saying that they're they're sorry that my wife died, but there's no one sorry that there was a mistake made or anything, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And not only are you dealing with your own grief, but like you said, you've got Alice to deal with. And you've been through everything. Like, where do you go now? What do you do now? I mean, this is day one, if you like, after after the settlement and nothing that happened yesterday or happened in court would ever bring her back or go anywhere near bringing her back so where do you and, and Ali go from here? We just have to keep working on ourselves and I'm just I just have to make sure she has the best life that I can give her life Yeah Yeah It's hard to know what to say to you Paul it's hard to it's it, like man to man I, I, I don't know what I would do her. I don't know how I'd stand up. 
no, I just have to keep kind of trying to keep busy and I try to keep her occupied, like, because she's kind of, she's upset a lot in How school. How old is she now? Like, she, she just turned 11 there on the 24th of oh, this month, like, so. That's a tough time. That's a tough time. That's a time when any young girl's going to need her mammy in the next few years. My God. It is. That's why I've been trying to kind of keep her occupied. Like, I've, over the Easter holidays there, now we went to Theatre Park. I brought her to Little Mix concert. We went uh, to Ed Sheeran concert there on Saturday. So I'm, I'm just trying to keep doing things with her, trying to keep her entertained and occupy her mind so she's not dwelling on things all the time, like. She's going to be going from a young girl to a young woman and all that. Oh, we've, we've already had that milestone out to start after the year and we kind of, we were all Christmas shopping when it actually happened and um, she got very upset like and got scared and I got scared. We were above in Kildare Village, shocked, trying to do a bit of Christmas shopping. We'd uh, jump in the car and go home. <laughs> yeah. Um, you're, you're kind of sitting there going, what the hell do I do now? And d- 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 uh, Do you ever feel that Julie inspires, or that, sorry, that, yeah, that Julie inspires you to go on? Do you, ever, oh, do you yeah, talk to her in your head, yeah. Paul? Yeah, of course, I do all the same, yeah. yeah. Do you say, help, well, help me out here, for Christ's sake? Like, I do, I, I go on, I fix, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm constant. I message her all the time, man. A messenger. I'm always sending her messages, like to her, her messenger, like just really telling her things and telling her I miss her and stuff. Like. So you met? Oh my God! You you still send stuff to her messenger? Yeah. Still. All right, mate. Sorry. Is that a kind of a therapy thing? I don't know. It's just something that I do, like. Yeah. Like I always was. Messaged her every morning when she was in Marymount in the hospital. It's like, you know, saying, I'm on the way, love your mission and stuff. Like, so tell her how well he got on during the night and stuff. So I still kind of just do that. Like. Right. like, did you send her a message, say, yesterday, today? I actually didn't. Not, not yesterday, no. Hmm. No. I just kind of was up really early yesterday and kind of, kind of crashed last night early enough. Like. Yeah. You'd earned that. You learned that. Paul, I'm going to leave you because I know you're upset and it's a, it's a tough time. And thank you for speaking to me. And we'll think again of everybody. Do you have anybody with you today now? We won't be on your own. Uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid to be on my own. I just like going into, getting into the car and just, if, I, if I'm off work, just, I just drive, like, keep driving kind of occupies my mind. So I usually just drive around the place, like. Yeah. Do, you have, do you have someone to talk to, though? Do you have to someone, do you have someone that gets it? That you can talk to. Um, I, I, I don't. I, I usually I don't. I, I don't like talking really. Like I've tried counselling and even talking to counsellors didn't do it for me. Like I, it just wasn't for me. Like so, my my own therapy is just kind of being in my own head, just going for a spin, like yeah. just driving somewhere, like. Yeah. Yeah. Well, drive safe. <laughs> I will. All right. And she'll mind you. And you know what? You maybe maybe send her a message, tell her you're driving, and look after you. I won't send our message while I'm driving. Just stay in. That's a good one. <laughs> That's a good one, yeah. Yeah, you see, there's there's, there's wisdom there. Paul, I, I, as I said, man to man, I, I cannot possibly comprehend how, what you're going through. But thank you so much for speaking with me today. You're an inspiration, actually, to dads, you know? Uh, to, you're, you are. 
you are you know you're getting you're getting on with it and and I think she'd be very 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 proud of you she'd be very very proud of you thanks so much alright and and look after yourself drive drive safely man and we'll be oh. thinking of it just stay there till I put you back on to Fiona for a second but but drive safely Paul and, and look after yourself and look after Ellie and thanks hopefully so the future will be a little bit brighter alright mate thank you take care what do you say what do you say he still sends her Facebook messages telling her about his day oh wait one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six can we just talk the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Let's get down, let's get down to business. We're back to the music. The Cork's 96FM music panel gives you the power to pick our playlist. Click 96FM.ie now. 96FM.ie now. Just like this. Take the 10-minute survey and you could win a 100 euro Just Eat voucher. The power to pick what we play. Pick what we play. Let's get down, let's get down to business. Join the Quark's 96FM music panel. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Or see 96FM.ie. Quark's 96FM. Yeah, reminder to you if you've got questions about the Ed Sheeran arrangements for this evening, parking and all of that. And we'll catch it up later on in the morning with Moirad, who's been at the briefings all week, uh, setting the scene for this evening. I can't get that out of my head. I cannot get out that of my head. It'll take a while to shake that out of my head now. The thought of Paul sitting down with his phone to send a, a Facebook message to his wife, who's been dead for five years, just telling her how they're getting on. It's very hard to get your head around that, isn't it? Caller says, I have to say this country still has unfinished business with Tony Houlihan about how this whole cervical check issue was handled, how the victims were treated and how the information was given to the public and how the court cases were managed. And Simon Harris too. No matter your opinion on how they both handled COVID, the cervical check was a tragedy. And one word... On a WhatsApp message, quite simply, heartbreaking. It's all of that. The trial of Karen Harrington is continuing at the Central Criminal Court, which is sitting in Cork. Of course, Karen Harrington, accused of the murder in 2019, July 2019, of two-year-old Santina Cawley. It's a case that's going to run for a number of weeks, and among those who will be keeping us posted on how the case is going is Ralph Regal of the Irish Independent. Ralph, this is a a very distressing trial to read about. Uh, Some of the evidence, and we'll warn listeners in advance, will be distressing, but Santina's dad, Michael Cawley, took the stand yesterday. A key witness. 
Very much so, PJ. It was the third day of the trial before Mr. Justice Michael McGrath and a jury of seven men and uh, five women. And Michael Cawley was setting out the events of July the 4th and July the 5th, which are central um, to this prosecution. Of course, Karen Harrington uh, has pleaded not guilty to the murder of Santina Cawley, a two-year-old girl who was found critically injured around 5 a.m. on July the 5th at the Elderwood Apartments Complex. Now, um, Santina received emergency medical treatment at the scene. She was rushed to Cork University Hospital. But on the opening day of the trial, Sean Gillan um, for the state said that basically the injury she had just couldn't be recovered from. Um, there were devastating injuries and they were briefly outlined by Mr. Gillan. He said that the child had suffered a fractured skull, a traumatic brain injury, bruises to almost every part of her body and had also suffered, um, I, I think, damage to the torso as well. Mm. So yesterday we had Michael Cawley, her father, giving evidence about the events, as I said, of July the 4th and July the 5th. And what we heard is that he had uh, separated from his wife in 2018 and he commenced a relationship with Karen Harrington in December of 2018. Now, he said that there was a good relationship um, between Santina and um, Karen Harrington. He said they got on grand. They seemed fine together. Um, He was socialising that evening um, with his daughter, with Karen Harrington, and with another family who were living at number 30 in the Elderwood complex. Mm. Now, they had initially been socialising in the Blackrock area, but they returned to the apartment complex and the, the socialising continued into the early hours of the morning. Now, Karen Harrington returned to her apartment at number 26 in the complex um, about an hour to an hour and a half before Mr. Cawley left number 30 and returned. Now, Mr. Cawley went to number 26. He realised he had didn't have his phone on him. Mm. And he went to number 30, couldn't gain access, so then decided to walk into town. Now, this is 3 a.m. on the morning of July the 5th. And the second day of, of the trial, PJ, was taken up by extensive CCTV footage. Now, Gardy took more than 40 major clips uh, from CCTV cameras around the city. Um, they had studied hundreds of hours of security camera footage. And those clips showed Michael Cawley leaving the complex at 3 a.m., walking into the city centre, going to various different spots around the city centre and returning to the apartment complex at around 5am. And he went into number 26 at 5.11am. And really, it's what he discovered when he went into the uh, number 26 is what dominated yesterday's evidence. And what he said, Peter, was that he, when he was walking towards the apartment, he met a neighbour um, and this neighbour had said, look, there's been roaring and screaming. And, you know, someone was roaring and screaming. Is that your child that's in there? And Mr. Cawley said he went to the, the door. He saw that there was rubber hanging off part of the sliding door. And when he went into the apartment, he saw that it was in disarray. There were chairs knocked around the place. He said he saw what he thought was blood uh, on the sink, broken glass on the floor. Um, He said he saw Karen Harrington lying on a couch and he said he saw his daughter Santina lying on a folded duvet or blanket and near the couch. Now, that's where Mr. Cawley said he had put the child um, at 3am just before he left the apartment and he also said that he had left the child in the care of Karen Harrington. She had said fine when he said he was leaving the apartment would she look after the child and he would only be gone for a short time. Mm. He went over to Santina. He noticed that the blanket was covering her head. 
when he pulled the blanket back he realised that she was naked and when he had left her she was wearing clothes now there were no clothes on the two year old he knew there was something wrong because he said he could see that her face didn't look right Uh, one eye was closed one eye was half closed and he immediately asked Karen Harrington what had happened at this point she left the apartment Uh, Mr Cawley called for help a neighbour rang the guardie Uh, the guardie and paramedics arrived at the scene Uh, Mr Cawley was desperately calling for help it was very emotive evidence yesterday when he Mm -hmm. said that he fell to his knees and he picked up his daughter he said she was warm to the touch but she was unresponsive and he said he got on his knees he started crying and he said please please Santina uh, say something to me say something to me so it was very very emotional stuff unfortunately as I've said um, paramedics did their very best to try and um, stabilise the child's condition at the scene but she was later pronounced dead when she was transferred to Cork University Hospital Now that was his direct evidence Ralph was he cross-examined and did anything interesting come up in that Uh, The cross-examination has commenced, PJ. We got probably about an hour to an hour and a half of cross-examination yesterday afternoon. It's continuing this morning. Of course, the trial is going into its fourth day of evidence today. And the cross-examination by Brendan Grehan, the senior counsel for Karen Harrington, has very much focused on challenging elements of what Mr. Cawley had said, um, particularly in terms of the events, in terms of his dealings with others that night and the nature of the relationship on the evening with Karen Harrington in particular he he was focused on the fact that it is it is claimed by the defence that Karen Harrington was was upset when she left um, number thirty that evening to return to number twenty six, and this was on the basis of some of the things that Mr. Cawley had said to her, yeah. and uh, Mr. Cawley said he couldn't remember some of those conversations. He said he wasn't sure about some of the things that were said, and uh, we also had some evidence and, and questioning about precisely what had gone on in number thirty, in terms of Mr. Cawley's interactions with others within the apartment and also in terms of the drinking that was going on there. Yeah, it's a very sensitive and a very dis- disturbing case, Ralph. Who's present in court? Are the families represented? Yes, we've had um, members of um, bo- both families, of course, Mr. Miss, uh, well, all three families. There's Miss, some members of Mr. Cawley's family have been there. Um, members of Santina Cawley's family, including her mother, Bridget, was there. Uh, and, and we also have um, relatives of Karen Harrington, the defendant. So when we were opening the trial, uh, Sean Galan had told the jury that this trial is expected to last between four and five weeks. There are over 100 uh, witnesses. Now, we're not sure that all of those will be called, Mm. but certainly we're expecting this trial to last at at least into five weeks. All right. Ralph, thank you as always, and we'll catch up with you again in the course of the next few weeks. Thanks. That's Ralph Regal of the Irish Independent speaking to me before we came on air this morning. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Every year, Cork people share their stories to support a very worthy cause. And each time, we're astonished by their amazing bravery. If you need a light to shine in. 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon returns May 26th to 28th for Cork Cancer Services. And I'll be there. Every year we speak to people touched by cancer. So if you've got a story to tell, we'd love you to get in touch. Send to email radiothon at 96fm.ie. Email radiothon at 96fm.ie to find out more. I'll be everything you want to. I'll be there. 
the Giving for Living Radiothon. Supporting Cork Cancer Services, May 26 to 28. Only on Cork's 96 FM. Now you might have seen during the week all this... uh Faff, shall we say, and palaver about turf and whether or not people would be allowed to burn turf in their homes. And look, you feel how you feel about that. That's that's as it were. But in the midst of all of that, the Residential Tenancies Board issued a set of figures showing rent in the end of 2021, quarter four of 2021, was up 9% nationally on rent from quarter four of 2020. The average rent was around 1400 a month. Here in Cork, the average monthly rent is just under 1400 and in the county it's just over 1100 and they continue the rents to go up despite rent pressure zones and despite that kind of thing. And Deputy McBarry, you raised this with the Taoiseach in the Dáil yesterday saying, look, what are you going on about turf when all this is happening. Good morning. Good morning to you, PJ. Yeah, I think um, the the issue of the turf is maybe important to, to some people, but there's no way that it is uh, the most important issue in the country, and there's no way that it's the issue that should be uh, dominating proceedings on the first day of the dial back. So what myself and other deputies attempted to do yesterday was to bring a bit of reality into the situation and to try talking about uh, what are the key issues facing working-class people, the key issues facing young people, and obviously one of them is the skyrocketing rents uh, that we are dealing with, and that's what I was uh, questioning the Taoiseach on yesterday. Mm, did you get anywhere with him? It's the usual uh, thing. Uh, my old colleague uh, Joe Higgins used to say when he had his exchanges with Bertie Hurl in the doll that it, it was... Uh, like knocking a handball against a haystack, you hear a dull thud and nothing comes back. And essentially, that's what we got again from the Taoiseach uh, yesterday. It won't stop us plugging away at him. Mm. Um, his, his message is jam tomorrow. You know, this is an issue of supply. And obviously, there is truth in that. Um, uh, at the supply figures uh, are looking better than they did a couple of months ago. And down the road, uh, hopefully, we'll get this uh, sorted. That's essentially his line. Mm. But it, it doesn't it doesn't address the fact mm. that the, re- the the high rents is now feeding into is feeding into a cost of living crisis, mm-hmm. and people simply cannot afford these rising rents. And it's particularly the case for young people and young workers who have a deadly combination here. On the one hand, of low pay, uh, and then on the other hand, of the high rents. Mm. Uh, and the idea that jam tomorrow and hopefully there'll be more supply next year, that is just not going to cut it. I guess, t- to be fair, Mick, one would have to acknowledge, and I only drive, I drive home a certain route every day and I see one develop, maybe two developments on my way and I'm thinking to myself, you know, that is, that's progress. And even, even Ono Brin of Sinn Féin said to me a few weeks ago on the opinion line, well, look, Cork City Council are delivering everything they've been asked to deliver. They just need to deliver more. So, so the building is ongoing. We should give that credit. You're to, you want rent, though, to be to be cut by force, as it were. Yeah, I think that the standard call from um, you know uh, left wing TDs in the dial uh, has been to say that rents should be frozen. Right now, if there was a proposal for a rent freeze tomorrow. I would vote in favour of it, to be clear on that. It's better than what we have at the moment. 
but I, I would be a bit uncomfortable about it, I'll be honest with you. Uh, and the reason I'd be a bit uncomfortable about it is rents are at levels now that are, I think, unjust is a fair word. And you would be freezing them at an unjust rate. In reality, what the debate needs to, to, to start uh, debating now is the idea that there needs to be legislation to cut rents. If you were going to have just rents or fair rents in this country, they would need to be uh, cut. But of course, Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael, and to their shame, the Green Party, have turned their back even on the idea of freezing rents. Mm. And I'm not saying it's the only reason or even the main reason, but uh, it doesn't surprise me when I look across the Dáil Chamber at the Fianna Fáil benches and I see so many TDs who are landlords themselves, Mm-hmm. And I see so many Fine Gael TDs who are landlords themselves. And I think to myself, well, you know, there's one reason why they're not jumping up and down and getting agitated mm-hmm. about this situation the way that they are on the issue of turf. You might you might well say that and you wouldn't be the first to say it, Mick. But also you've got to take into the account the views of economists like John Fitzgerald and uh, another economist I had on the show here a couple of weeks ago whose name I have neglected to write down but he was discussing the very same thing with me. John Fitzgerald said recently, just the other day in fact, that the measures like rent pressure zones and limiting rent and all of this kind, they're, they're actually counterproductive because he said as an economic thing, they drive small landlords, not the big guys, but they drive the small landlord with two or three properties out of the market. And, and the evidence is there. There's loads of those guys are selling up and getting out. Well, I'll tell you what I, I didn't hear John Fitzgerald say. And I would have liked to have heard John Fitzgerald say, right? And I won't make this personal about John Fitzgerald. I'm talking about the economists as a group, okay? Okay, their most august institution uh, is the ESRI, the Economic and Social Research Institute. That's who I was talking to. The ESRI, yeah. Yeah, they did a study about the rent pressure zones between the years 2017 and 2020 when a maximum rent increase of 4% applied, okay? And they found that more than one-third of landlords, now how many is that? You're not talking about a couple of thousand. More than one-third of landlords increased rents during that period by more than by more than the ceiling of 4%, okay? Now, there was a loophole. There was. Uh, there, was there was a small loophole. So the ESRI went to the Residential Tenancy Board and they said, how many of them availed of the loophole? In other words, increased rents above 4% legally. And how many didn't avail of the loophole? In other words, increased them illegally. The RTB shrugged their shoulders and said, unfortunately, we have a data gap and we cannot give you that information. I did discuss that with the ESRI, but that's not really the same question that I put to you, Mick. The question I put to you was that the the economists say that limiting things and what you want to do, cut rent, which, you know, it's it's a popular thing to say, but cutting it and putting in things like rent pressure zones, the evidence is already there before our very eyes that that is driving the small landlord out of the market. Okay, so I'll say two things, PJ. I'll, I'll immediately answer your direct question, okay? But I do want to go back to that point about the legal rent increases briefly. Uh, but I'll start with the direct question you're asking me, right? Mm. The uh, John Fitzgerald and those economists uh, have a point, right? 
and it's not a point that I dispute. But the way in which you get around that, right, is you put less emphasis on uh, the private landlords uh, organizing the supply and you put more emphasis, much more emphasis, on the state taking responsibility for organizing the supply. So in other words, the state can say, we can take a hit here. We can keep rents frozen or we can cut them and massively increase supply at the same time. It will drive out some, a minority, but some of the private landlords who want to put maximum profit above getting a roof over people's heads. It will drive some of them out, but we will compensate for that and more than compensate for that by massively increasing the amount of state houses that are built. That's the way in which socialists would answer that particular point. On the issue of um, the one-third of landlords, huge number of landlords who increase the rent by more than 4%, RTB can't tell us how many of them were illegal, but I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to work out that there were thousands upon thousands at least of rent increases in this country which were illegal, mm -hmm. which were illegal. And those illegal rent increases have been built into the level of rent that the RTB was talking about yesterday when they're talking about rents haven't gone up 9% year on year sure. since the end. Sure, of well, obvious year. because... That is a powerful argument. It is. That it, is a, a, it, it is a powerful argument in favour of, at a minimum, rent freeze legislation mm -hmm. or even the question of legislation to cut rents But now. you still have, Mick, this, this balance, this pivot or balance between, like you say, we limiting rent, cutting rent preferably, as you would say, and certain people will leave the market and the state steps in with more with more stock and all of that. That that makes absolute logical sense. But at the moment, the fact is if you freeze or cut rent, more people will leave. And let's focus on the word balance. Because what we have, and there's a report this morning which talks about this too, is we have a massive, a massive power imbalance now between the landlords on the one hand who control the rental market and have the ability to say who gets a roof over their head and who does not, right? And hundreds of thousands of vulnerable people, and I'm talking especially about young people, right, who have to pay... Um, what, half of their salary, their take-home pay, more in some cases, mm. simply, simply in order to get a roof over their head. So don't talk to me about balance. There's a massive power imbalance there, and it's not going to be addressed mm. by Fianna Fáil. It's not going to be introduced by Fine Gael, parties that are dominated mm. by landlords. Mm. I tell interestingly you, PJ, enough, what we, what interestingly we enough, Mick, it was, <laughs> if you go back far enough and look around this city of ours, vast swathes of this city, I think of places like Bellevihan and, and the surrounds, they were all public housing projects built by, let's let's face it, a feed of all government at a time when we were broke and far more broke than we ever are now. This is cycling, well, now you're this talking. housing thing. Now you're talking, right? Because those same parties are telling us that uh, you know, you have to wait. You have to be patient. It's 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 not so simple. I mean, how long have we been hearing this? Finnegale have been in power for more than ten years now, all right? But as you say, hundred percent correct 
I agree with you now. We've been disagreeing in this call, but I'm agreeing on this one, PJ. When the country was poor, when the country was broke in the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, the 70s, Nahini, Ballyfihan, Gronabraher, good quality social housing on a mass scale in society. Mm. And, I mean, would you do it exactly the same? No, we've learned lessons and we can make changes. But the basic idea of good quality social housing provided for people who need it, that is something that we mm. need to go back to and go back to it in a serious way. But the one thing we had back then that we don't have now was thousands and thousands of council-employed builders. And those days are gone, Mick. Those days are gone. Um, but uh, changes were introduced. Uh, and the world is always changing. Changes um, can be made to the situation that you have uh, at the moment. Why not? Why not say that at least... Dublin City Council, Cork City Council, the big city councils uh, around the country uh, say to young fellas, there's an apprenticeship. We'll train you up, uh, hire in workers um, uh, and say, OK, we've got a team here of several hundred people who can focus mm. um, not on building things that we don't need, like more hotels all right, or empty office space but what people really need, okay. all right? Good quality, social and affordable housing. We'll come back to this issue. I'm sure we'll come back to this I'm issue. Sure but, 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 but a not, point not, I'll leave you right on that I'd like to, time. Yeah, to... Maybe we'll pick up on this point some other time, right? Is that if the government aren't going to take these initiatives, maybe we need something that looks like what we had with the anti-water charges campaign. In other words, a real housing campaign in this country, people power, saying we need housing for people, not profit. All right, leave it there. Nick Barry, a socialist, uh, a solidarity TD for Cork North Central. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Ah, here. Here, there's a picture going around social media this morning. Remember we were talking yesterday to Joe from Cork Bio and he was explaining what they were able to find out from Traffic Infrastructure Ireland about the tunnel and these sensors, the height sensors, and they've been adjusted. And that's why a couple of times in the last week there's been blockages in the tunnel because the sensors picked up an overheight vehicle and all hell breaks loose, etc., etc. And Joe was explaining that you know, that's that's just how it is now and the drivers need to be cognizant of this fact plus the fact that they had adjusted the software and maybe eased out a few glitches. This photograph that's going around, I'll try to describe it for you. You probably haven't seen it unless you're on social. So you got this thing pulled up, right, in the pull-up area on the hard shoulder. It is a tractor, okay? And attached to the tractor is a large flatbed. Okay, And on top of that flatbed, 
is a truck. So you have a tractor with a flatbed. On top of the flatbed is a truck. And on top of the truck is another truck. I'm serious. Smaller one. It's like a little pyramid of trucks. And I'm not finished. So you got the tractor with the thing. You've got the truck with the trail. On top of that, you've another truck. <laughs> and inciting the trailer of that, you've got another truck. One, two, three, four. And inside that, you have what looks like a kind of a crane or a cherry picker. I'm not kidding you. And I'm making. And that, someone was trying to drive that into the tunnel this morning. Ah, have a look. I mean, how the hell did they pack it, is what I'm wondering. And it's held together with bits of rope and hawsers and straps and everything. Oh, Lord. 0818. 96, 96, 96. Some responses to McBarry, which I will get to later on. And people still commenting on Paul Dingevin. D says that interview was so sad. It's great that he has his lovely daughter, Ali, and they have each other and they're doing the best for each other. And uh, we're thinking about Paul. We checked with him afterwards. He, he's okay. He's okay. 0818 96, 96, 96. We're now, we're now 10 hours away just about 10 hours away from the moment when Ed Sheeran will step out on stage at Parky Cueve. There's a countdown clock that comes down as part of the enormous stage. So when Maisie Peters, the second opening act, is gone off stage, there's a huge kind of a lit drop, kind of a, it's like a, a curtain of light comes down around the stage. And obviously it all builds up in excitement. And then... I think, I can't remember, was it three minutes or two minutes or five minutes? Anyway, there's a minute clock starts, an enormous minute clock starts. And it clocks down minute by second into a 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1 situation. And then it bursts on stage. And it's just two hours of hit after hit after hit. And it is spectacular. So we're about 10 hours away from that happening. Maybe a few minutes more, maybe a few minutes less. And the excitement is just at fever pitch and it's great. It'll be lovely to walk around town at lunchtime and people will be arriving and having a bite of lunch in advance of strolling down to the gig and places like Goldberg's and Tequila Jack's where we've got our big party. Tequila Jack's will be rammed and all those other places up will all be rammed tight for the afternoon. It's fantastic to see big gigs back in the city. But there's a lot of planning involved, a lot of briefings involved this week, and a lot of rules and regulations just before you get down into the gig at all. Uh, Maury Tuick has been following the briefings during the week from guards and organisers and security and all of that. Hi, Maury. Good morning to you. Hi, PJ. How are you? Great. I'm getting really excited now listening to, to you talking about Are you going tonight? Um, I'm going tonight. I am, yeah. Oh, right. So can't it's, wait for you're, the countdown you're, you're, clock. Oh, you're in for a treat. It's a spectacular <laughs> show. But getting, oh, getting there. Parky Cueve is, a bit, is not like uh, Croke Park. You, you can't like... It's, it's in a residential area and you've got to move up to it carefully. That's Parking it. is limited. So what are the plans? It is. 
Yeah, so as you say there, I mean, it's important first and foremost to remember this is a residential area and there is a lot of businesses here on the approach to Parky Cueve as well. So from 10 a.m., which is from now, there is a certain parts around Parky Cueve that are in lockdown. As the day goes on from three o'clock, it becomes it comes up to the, the roundabout there by Centre Park Road and Monaghan Road at the top. And so come five o'clock, it's going to be complete lockdown because you're moving 35,000 people from the city centre down into Parky Cueve for the gigs. You want to do it in the safest way as possible. So the Gardies said that they've been liaising with the businesses in the area. They don't want them to lose out by any means. So they have been liaising with them. So in terms of at the moment, it's kind of the estates around Parky Cueve where the lockdown and the reason for that is to avoid any illegal parking. So to make sure that residents can move in and out freely. Now, what the guards did advise is if you are a resident in the area around there, the likes of Maryville, that you would have maybe ID with you just to say, look, my house is in there, I want to go home, just so that there's no confusion there between security staff. Um, and as I say, as the day goes on, there is going to be more and more lockdowns. Now, the advice if you're going to the concert, if you can at all, use public transport. Easier for yourself. I mean, I don't know about anyone else, but no one likes to try and find parking around the city any day, not to mind on the day that you have 35,000 people going to the exact same place. So if you can at all, use use public transport, take the pressure off. If you're being dropped off, we'll say, um, the advice there, if you can use the likes of Boreen Manor Road, and just bear in mind, there is a bit of a, a walk, not mm. too far, but, you know, bear in mind what, what you're wearing and maybe, you know, flat shoes, runners and all the rest of it, just to, to plan ahead, I suppose, and take all that into account. Now, for blue badge holders, there is going to be um, an allowance to get down to the kind of link road there between Centre Park Road and Monaghan Road um, with the view that you would then take the car back up into the city centre and park it there. Or there will be some space in the ESB car park, which is near Parky yeah. Cueve. Now, Inspector I had James some, query, I had that some queries about that. Yeah, We've got a clip of that this because yes. obviously not everybody and people with a blue badge. And generally, if you have a blue badge... It means that you can't walk more than about 100 yards unaided. Um, it yes. doesn't mean necessarily you're in a wheelchair or anything like that, but it means that you, you struggle to walk more than about 100 yards unaided, and that's why you have a, a blue badge. So the closer those people can get, the better. And you're saying that's covered by James The Hallahan. Inspector James Hallahan clip there that you have. Okay. Taxis will be Victoria Road. Uh, private bus operators, we would uh, suggest they park on Boreen Manor Road um, by the, the Circle K along the earth, which is normal, normal for even the matches here that they would park. Again, people with special needs, we will allow them to come down to the Link Road and access from the Link Road, but with the view that they will have to get cars back up into the city centre. Uh, we will facilitate, in some cases, disabled parking in the area, but it is very restricted down here. If you are dropping, you can drop someone at the top of Maryville and then come down the hill. But again, we will have obviously enough the sheer volume of people coming in. There will be traffic delays in the area, so we would expect people more to use Boring Manor Road if you're dropping, so they can come down Crab Lane or Churchyard Lane rather than coming down Black Rock Road. The marina, uh, well, the marina is closed to traffic anyway um, because it's a public community at this point. The ESB car park will be utilised to some degree by staff in the area and also disabled people with disabled passes. So. Yeah, there, there, there was that link road he refers to, Maureen. That's the road that goes from Monaghan Road back to Centre Park and encompasses the entrance to the Marquee site. 
that's exactly that that's there. it so that's that road that you can come down one and go back up the other side and it's a kind of a, a almost a, a massive roundabout if anything yeah. probably yeah. the biggest so so yes yeah, so that's the advice there from inspector james hallahan about the, the parking arrangements for that but as i say they're strongly encouraged to use public transport yeah. where possible are there now, shuttle buses someone's asking more I'm not aware if there are shuttle buses, but I know there is parking areas for, I know back when he was here before that bus area were running shuttle buses. I'll actually check that one out and I'll come back to you with that one, PJ, if I hear more about it but there has been no kind of notice of that and we weren't told that at a media briefing but there is room for like private buses and that's up on the boring manor road area near the garage there um so i suppose another thing to remember and as you'll know well from last weekend this is a digital ticket tour Mm. so the you need to have your phone charged and if you can at all have your tickets downloaded now i'm going with this four of us going later i've transferred the tickets to the other three people so they all each have their own ticket now but my understanding is we all still need to enter together as seen as I was the one who purchased the tickets first day and I think that's a big question that a lot of people have and if you go on the Aiken Promotions website even they do say there let's say you've bought it for a gift for someone it says that you do have to still go with the party that are going to the concert and you have to enter together yeah. um, so that's a piece of advice and as I say keeping the phones charged now there is various questions around what if my phone you know if I lose my phone on the way down what if it you know if the battery goes if I break it there will be help points there by Ticketmaster and they will have your details so if you do if if something unexpected happens with your phone there will be ways and means of of getting help with that and still hopefully Mm. getting in to to see the gig because I think this is the first time we've had a fully digitally ticketed event in Cork so that's it it, absolutely and Eamon Exactly. And Eamon O'Boyle is there. He's the event controller and he just talks through, I suppose, uh, tickets and and his advice there. So I think you have that clip there as well, PJ. Here we go. These series of concerts are uh, some of the first within the entertainment industry that have, uh, you know, that are completely digital. That we've digital tickets uh, for that, so for the concert. So it's very important that we make sure that, you know, the ticket you have is for the correct date. In other words, that you're you're not coming a day late or a day early uh, with uh, with your ticket. Uh, we'd also like you to make sure that when you're coming to the, uh, particularly the ticket checks and that that your telephones are charged and uh, fully charged and all. So, you know, we'd advise people to download their tickets from Ticketmaster uh, onto your phone before before show day, rather than be trying to do it at the at the uh, at the entry at the entry point. Uh, also, the, there has been quite a bit of information that would have been sent to people from uh, Ticketmaster, and we paper to ask people to pay particular attention uh, to the information that's provided there, particularly in relation to uh, things like transferring and downloading of tickets and that. So that that's very important. Also, uh, there is a no bags policy for people coming into the ground. I mean, bags greater than A4 size won't be permitted uh, into the ground. Yeah, that no, it was the same in, in Croker, no bags, none, so don't arrive with a backpack, Maureen. That's it, exactly. And there is some advice as well if you are, you know, one day I know someone, someone was asking about, you know, if could they bring food and drinks and things like that with them but the advice there is not to and I can tell you this much, there is going to be food vendors and places to get 
treats and things like that and obviously if you're if you're looking for alcohol make sure you have your id with you yeah. so there's i'll just go through some of the things that you can't bring in i guess so um they're saying professional cameras and recording devices so this applies you know if you have a camera that has a detachable lens you can't bring bottles glass vessels cans flasks no frisbees and related items nothing dangerous or hazardous a frisbee and- Sure, look, you never know, but know. you could be packing your bag and saying, I mean, I had a bowling ball or a bowling ball in my bag before. So, you know, you're saying you never know what you could end up bringing with you. So just keep an eye what's in your bag and just make sure you've nothing in there. And like security are going to be there. There'll be checks done, but they're there for the safety of everyone just to make sure that no one is bringing in anything that they shouldn't. And there's things here like, you know, prams and push chairs, no folding chairs. If you do have a standing ticket, you can't bring any chair with you. No, like large bags, as Zayman said there you know a four size at most and if you can avoid bringing a bag i guess even better still and it's important that if you're you know everyone's going to have their phone with them because they need it for the digital ticket but just make sure you mind it where you have it in the concert you'll be probably taking pictures and videos and the rest of it but just take care where you're you're putting it down when you're at the concert and enjoying yourself mm-hmm. and it says here alcohol drinks no selfie sticks either i know people are fond of a, a selfie but just leave the sticks at home for today um no food and if you're no animals except for for service dogs and guide dogs of course and as they say the bags just make sure they're small bags under a four size and they will be subject to a search um so obviously allow that time as well that when you are coming in there is as i say thirty-five thousand people each night so just be bear that in mind when you are coming in i mean ed sheeran's due on stage at 8 p.m like i mean you know denise chyla is on at six Maisie peter's at seven and ed is due on at eight so do ensure that you do allow enough time for the ticket checks for the walk down to the stadium mm. you know if you do if you are getting searched and finding your your way in it's just important to, to plan your journey well and allow for the traffic coming mm. in as well and definitely for tonight but i mean more so even tomorrow night because you've got cork city playing in turner's cross you've got a uh, gay man at irish independent park uh, you've got Ed Sheeran in, in Parky Cueve and you also have the, the Cork International Choral Festival as well. So it's quite a busy city tonight and especially tomorrow night. So it's yeah. it's well important to, to make sure that you do plan your journey so that you, you don't want to miss anything. Yeah. Do you the, know? Gar- the Gary have issued some advice as well about drinking on this on in the street on the way down. You cannot drink in the area no. surrounding the park, and that's important. Absolutely no drinking in public at all. And they will be on patrol in the area. They will be issuing fines um, and taking taking the drink off you. And as we said at the start, I mean, this is a residential area. They were saying, you know, like, don't be going to the toilet in someone's garden. You know, don't be don't be acting the maggot going down along because it is as you know, people live here and mm. you want to be as respectful as you can. There will be bins in the area. So don't, you know, put your litter where it should go into the bin. And yeah, as you say, if you are caught drinking in the area you're going around with drink um, it will be taken off you and you could be subject to a fine okay. so it's important to take all that into account you know the, the excitement's at fever pitch and everyone's really excited but it's just you know don't lose sight of the fact that you know this is a fun event it's a family event you know we've as I say it's probably one of the biggest things to since you know 
the last few years of, of lockdown. So yeah. to enjoy it and, and make the most of it. Um, and I know there, there was a, a lot of questions and I suppose that was really around parking. And just there was someone said, you know, it's their first time concert going with uh, four teenagers, some pointers, parking buses and all the rest. But the advice there again, you know, public transport, if you're getting dropped, go for the area around Boring Manor Road and you can walk down in. And, mm. you know, yourself, like, I mean, the walk to something like this is buzzing. Like, you it know, is, you're, yeah. you're walking down well, with everyone else who's excited. Well, you know? something you might check, I know you said you'd refer back to bus air and forest and try to come back. The the two, the two the shuttle buses, whether or not there will be shuttles, and also someone's been on to say, are there any extra late buses, or indeed you might ask Irish Whale, are there any late trains? Because last weekend there was supposed to be a late train from Dublin to Cork, and they went and cancelled it, having not told us in the first place it was on. So. I've thought of that it was mad so I'll definitely check that out and I will All come right. back to you and look if I don't get back before the show ends we'll pop it up on Twitter alright enjoy the gig Moiraid you're in for an absolute treat and no <laughs> don't bring the bowl don't bring the bowl <laughs> that at home <laughs> cheers Moiraid Twig from the Cork 96 FM newsroom that is a true story she comes from bowling country shall we say Moiraid comes from bowling country and she used to actual bowl an actual road bowl not a yeah 0818 96 96 96 and not only have we got these fantastic gigs but we're heading into uh, the May weekend now the weather looks like it might turn a bit iffy but at the moment it's good enough and as we count down and welcome Ed Sheeran we are turning up the feel good vibe here at Cork's 96 of M for Friday with our five for the weekend Mixes big special ones after the news at one, three, five, and nine. Five massive tunes all mixed up together. And because Ed is in town, we have a very special one featuring his biggest hits. It's a cracker, I've heard it. Five for the weekend mixes playing this Friday from one on Cork's 96 FM. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie The Cork Diary. On Cork's 96FM. Cork Cycling Campaign will be hosting iBop for Simon on Sunday the 1st of May at 1pm. A family-friendly, all-ages bicycle ride around the city set to music. And this time in aid of Cork Simon. Donations will be accepted along the way as well as at the coffee morning taking place after the bike ride at Nanonagel Place. For more information check out Cork Cycling Campaign on Twitter or Instagram. If you have an event you would like mentioned email corkdiary at 96fm.ie The Cork Diary On Cork's 96fm Now how would you like to go to Australia working? How would you like to go out and kind of sample it for yourself to see would you like to work there and it's an awful lot of money to get there just to do that maybe go out and see what the place is like and it's a bit of a it's a bit of a trek to say the least I read this twice and I'm still not sure what I'm reading Paula Canela of the Irish Independent a tenor to get a flight to Australia to see what it's like to work there good morning how are you doing Peter are you well I'm well <laughs> It's a good headline, and and they're being very smart about this uh, because there are several catches. But it is true that if you are one of the lucky few, you can get a return flight to Australia for ten euro. Now that's the good news. Will I drill into the catches? Do please. <laughs> 
First of all, are you aged between 18 and 35? Last time I saw 35 was on my trousers. Yeah, so maybe if I get that time machine I've been working on in the shed finished, I might be able to apply for this. But um, first of all, you have to be an Irish citizen aged 18 to 35. You have to register now for the tickets and then they will be allotted um, in early May. But there's only 200 of them available. Right. So, so it is. It look that'll fill literally half of a long haul plane to Australia, but they do say they're going to have other special offer fares coming in mid May. The other, the other uh, sort of bits of red tape with this, you have to have a working holiday visa. Um, now you need to go and apply for that, and it takes about twelve days and costs about three hundred quid. Oh. And you all, yeah, yeah. But that's the visa. No matter how you were getting to Oz, if you were paying full whack for the flights you'd still have to get that. And then you have to travel this year and before September 30th. Right. So, does that cool you off in it or would you still be game? Do you know what? If I was of age, I'd nearly give it a shot. Because they want, they're trying to encourage people to come over and work. Yeah. Well, they're, they're like us. No matter where you go in Ireland these days, people are talking about staffing crises. And every every hotel I check into, every restaurant manager I speak to is talking about the trouble they're having getting chefs, getting casual labour, getting, you know, be it spa therapists, shops are talking about having trouble getting retail staff. So Australia is the same. As it comes out of the pandemic, it's really struggling with labour shortages. And traditionally, this is, you know, not nothing new. People go there on working holiday visas. They may extend, they can stay a year, they may extend beyond that. And it's really popular with younger Irish people and lots of them actually put down roots over there. As you know, probably lots of your listeners will know. So they're looking at... Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. It's a wheeze to get people over to basically enjoy Australia and live the down-under lifestyle, yes, but also to plug these workforce shortages. Now, Australia was uh, one of the toughest places in the world to get in and out of during COVID. What's the story there? It's not quite the fortress that it was. It's It's been opening up. You still need to be fully vaccinated to get in, but they, this month they dropped their pre-departure testing rule where you would have had to get a negative test before you got on the plane. But you do need to um, double check, depending on the state that you're visiting, you may need to take a, an antigen test yourself after you arrive. Um, mm. And there can be slightly different criteria between states. Western Australia is probably the strictest, requiring people to be triple vaccinated and get that antigen test after they arrive. Have they but, done away with hotel quarantine? They have. Oh, they have, thank God, yeah. In fact, the US still has the pre-departure test and it's increasingly looking like a bit of an outlier with that. We would hope that that will go by June or so. Yeah, actually maybe you can clarify that, Paul, because we had a couple of people here on just another discussion with regard to the United States. They were unclear. At the moment, no matter how many vaccines you've had, 
if you're going to the US, you must have a PCR before you leave, correct? The antigen is okay as well, but oh, you must it? have it. Yeah, yeah, you have to t- do it within the, the 24 hours before you travel, and it's checked at the boarding end rather than when you arrive. So it's it's a bit of a deterrent. Now, lo- now capacity and flights have been picking up, and people have been going, but it's it's increasingly feeling like a bit of bureaucracy. And indeed, I was at a conference yesterday, the Irish Tourism Industry Confederation Conference in Crow Park, and Luke O'Neill, the Trinity College professor, was speaking yeah. at it, and he said he would love to see this go. He's going off to the States shortly, he was saying, and that he didn't feel there was a scientific basis for this kind of pre-departure test anymore. But bit by bit, countries are dropping these. I guess you have to remember that it depends what the status of the pandemic is in each place. Yeah. And while it might, we might feel it's falling away here, the numbers are on the charge in the States. Um, so, but look, the, the, the sense I'm getting from tourism sources is that they've dropped the mask mandates on planes and that this would hopefully follow by June-ish. Okay. Although I can't, I can't be held to that because I've made so many guesses during the pandemic. <laughs> haven't, 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 haven't we all? <laughs> Lastly, to come back to where we were, how yeah. do, if, if someone wants to check up this Australian offer, how do they do it? Yeah, so just, it's it's being run by South Australian Tourism and it's mainly geared towards Adelaide and the region around that. So what you, the first port of call, log on to southaustralia.com and straight away you'll see on the website on the front page this offer. It, it, it harks back to an offer, I don't know if any of your listeners would remember about uh, 40 years ago or more where you could get to Australia for a tenor for exactly the same reason. That's kind of why they're, they're using this rules again. But go on to southaustralia.com and you'll find all the details there. You can register now. And so look, you never know. You might be one of the 200. <laughs> all right, Paul, thank you. Uh, Paul O'Keele of Irish Independent Travel. The best of luck to you if you want to try and get one of those tickets and the best of luck to you if you want to go to Australia. In my late 20s, I would have been maybe my late 20s, uh, we had an Aussie boss and, and he went back to Oz and he said, get on a plane, come out, I'll get your job. <laughs> I never did. Sometimes I regret it, sometimes I don't. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. Fresh from the success of You, Me, Myself, Irish brothers Harry and Alfie Hudson-Taylor are about to release their eagerly awaited third studio album, Searching for the answers. It comes out on June 3rd and they follow it with a Cork show taking place on June 15th at Cypress Avenue. Access all areas. Uncork the Cork Independent Music Showcase takes place on Tuesday, May 24th live at the Everyman Theatre. Uncorked is a music showcase that brings together a selection of Cork's most exciting rock bands and this show features Rasputin's Boots, Aura Fantoma and more. Access all areas. You can contact us here at Access All Areas if you have a show, play or exhibition coming up or any live streaming event by emailing us now on aaa at 96fm.ie Access all areas Your guide to nightlife on the side On Cork's 96FM The next time we'll be asked to go out to vote on something in this country is probably the local elections in 2024 How would you feel if young people I mean people as young as 16 
were entitled to vote at that time. There's a new survey, a new piece of research has been done by the Children's Rights Alliance and one of its key findings is that young people would like the right to vote at the age of just 16. One of those compiling that research is Orna O'Brien. So Orna, I must tell you, I can remember uh, when they changed the voting age to 18 and I remember being so excited about the first time that I voted. But 16, I'm not too sure I, I would have been ready. So why do you want the voting age, Lord? Well, I think what myself and most other young people would be looking for the voting age to be brought lower to 16 was, compared to you and I growing up, we, I'd say my generation, have a bit more access to information. Anyone's got a phone, anyone's got classes in school like CSP where we're learning consistently about topical issues in politics so I think we've got a great understanding but not under that we also have a great interest in voting at this age and I think anytime you vote you get to control your future and what happens and I think we just want to start making those changes as soon as possible and I think that's why we're looking for the age to be lowered. It's great to hear you say that that you have an interest in voting because the perception, and I use that word with great care, the perception is that young people don't care and don't want to vote. Yeah, and that's understandable, but we also have to understand that there will be some teenagers who won't even consider voting. But we've got adults, we've got 20-year-olds who don't even consider voting. Yeah. So I think if we were to open and broader, I think the majority of young people who would vote would vote with a lot of care. What kind of things would you personally like to vote about? Well, I think our local TD elections. I think that's a huge reflection on where you come from. And young people, we've got a great facility having schools. You know, we're looking to have TDs into our schools and hear what they have to offer because everyone wants to feel proud of where they come from. And I think having a TD that would make you proud is one of the things. And then also we've got European-wide elections that represents our country. And those are the things I'd love to be able to take part in. Do you think that some of the people currently members of the Doyle serving in government, do you think they're a bit old to understand the needs of young people? Would you like to see some younger TDs in there? That would be great, I guess, to see younger TDs. But also we're here saying that age doesn't matter. So we don't think however old you are should matter either. But we also feel that young people aren't getting asked enough questions you know we're not in the decision making meetings oftentimes we're being told things secondly or sometimes even later than that yeah so we'd be expecting is you can be whatever age you like to be a td we would love to see young ones but also ask us ask questions be direct you know start the conversations don't be waiting for young people to contact you in your emails yeah don't have discussions about us without us as they say Exactly, yeah. Yeah, like the last couple of years with all the leaving cert stuff and the junior cert stuff, I guess a lot of young people must have felt very left out with all the politicians discussing this. And we're there, there going, well, actually, what about us? We'd like to say something. Exactly. I mean, one thing that I've heard said in you know groups and different panel discussions I've been involved in is that we are experts by experience. No one else has experienced what we have, if that's regards to the Leaving Cert or if that's mm. things to do with climate change. We understand what we are looking for and our needs. Yeah. And I think 
if we can vote, that's the best thing for us. It would probably take a referendum to do it. In fact, it would take a referendum to give you the vote. Do you think that that referendum might get passed? Do you think enough people who are older than you would look to the youth and say, do you know what, yeah, let's give them a say? I would be optimistic that they would, given that nowadays young people are so involved and they're outgoing and they're outspoken that I think young people could advocate for themselves if it was to come to a referendum, that they could advocate enough for themselves and prove in their advocating for voting that they are responsible enough to vote. What things, lastly, Orna, you personally, what things are you passionate about? For me, what I'm mostly passionate about would be climate change and climate justice. Considering climate justice is about social justice also, it goes on all about where climate change starts to affect people's justice and their rights. And if we've got flooding, that's going against people's human right to shelter, if mm. we've got houses being flooded. So that would be a big thing personally for me. And that's why I'd be loving to get a vote because then I could, you know, vote who should be in our who should be our TDs, who should be in our Shannon, who should be making these kind of decisions that is going to affect me when I'm older and when I'm an adult. I don't know what you do in school, what particular subjects you do in school, but do you you see politics as a possibility for your future? I do, but not necessarily through what I've done in school. I've been quite active in Faroiga and Mm. they have their own democratic process to have young people involved in their organisation and getting a taster of that has really made it become more of a reality that it could be a line of work I go down. Let's see what listeners think. I know that a lot of listeners will be will have views on giving younger people like you the vote. Like I say, I got to vote at 18 and I was so excited the first time I got to do it. I wonder what our, what our listeners might think. Orna, thank you very much. No worries, thank you. That's Orna O'Brien, who was one of the researchers on this. I'd like to know what people think, by the way, but maybe if there was a referendum tomorrow on lowering the voting age to 16, what would you think? Julia Hearn is Head of Legal Policy and Services at the Children's Rights Alliance. Now, there's more to this research report, Julia, but this is, this is the key finding. They, they want to vote. Good morning. You yeah. heard there from Orna. Hello? Yeah, I got you. Perfect. Um, I, I do. I think like this. This was one of the main findings come out of the report. But the report did also look at a number of other issues. And Orna mentioned education there a minute ago. And one of the things that the research looked at was what children know about their rights. Um, and really, it was really interesting to find that children have an incredibly good knowledge and really established ideas and understandings about their rights and about the different issues facing children and young people and indeed wider society. And they made a series of recommendations around that, that actually they want more in-depth education, that they want not only to know what the rights are, but they want to know what the remedies are when something goes wrong, how they can access supports. And they also want to see adults better educated because they felt through their research that actually often adults working with them didn't have a comprehensive understanding of what their rights are. So it was really interesting to hear them look at it in the round. But you're right, one of the things that really came out of it was the need for voice. I suppose that's why it's part of the title of the report is Voice Rights Action, was that they felt that they needed a seat at the table when decisions are being made. And one way to do that would be to lower the voting age. What impresses me, and I've been interested in politics since I was a teenager, but you know, I, they they are so much better versed in politics and the nuances of the issues around us than I was at their age. 
Definitely. And I think this is down to a few different things. We've seen, you know, the education system bring in subjects like CSP and now politics and society, but also looking at social justice issues within the education system. And I think that's really helped. But also there's an awful lot of really, really impressive work going on in local communities in terms of youth clubs like Foriga that Orna mentioned or other youth clubs around the country where they're working with children and young people and really empowering them to engage with these issues and upskilling them in that area. And I think, you know, the government, to give them their credit, have done an awful lot of work, particularly the Department of Children, in setting up the Dolan and Oaks, the Corlin and Oaks, where they consult regularly with children and young people. And what you see from that is that children and young people really do take the time to critically engage and grapple with the issues and come up with really good recommendations. Will this report be handed to anybody who may have the power to grant the referendum that would be needed? Yeah, I mean, really interestingly, I suppose we had at the launch, we had the Department of Children were there. We also had uh, the Irish Human Rights and Equality Commission who, who actually funded the report. And then we had the Ombudsman for Children. But this report will be sent to all decision makers. But there is a way in which it can be done outside of a referendum as well. So you could lower the voting age for local elections and European elections by legislation. So that's one thing that people could do as a first step. But also it's important to mention the Programme for Government committed, committed to actually looking at this issue and examining the Scottish experience of lowering the voting age, where they found in their independence referendum that they had a huge turnout from children and young people. So now they're looking to lower their voting age across all elections. So I think there's a wealth of experience and knowledge that we can look at and we can examine within this debate. Okay, we're going to see uh, where it goes. I'd like to know what listeners think. That's Julia Hearn, Head of Legal Policy and Services at the Children's Rights Alliance. I remember the first time this came up on the opinion line about maybe five or six years ago and people were saying, nah, you've got to be joking. Given the vote to kids, no, no, no. I think that's changed. Uh, And I think if there was a referendum tomorrow, I'd probably consider it. I can't see where the problem is. They're very engaged with the world around them and they're very passionate about it. Like your thoughts, if you've got them, at uh, 0818969696. Children voting, youngsters voting, teenagers voting at 16. How would that grab you? 0818969696. On Earth Day, we were talking... About various things to do with the environment, uh, we're talking to the Cork Environmental Forum and and others, and God, is it a very unique farm down in West Cork, beautiful part of West Cork? It's a seed farm. It's an organic seed farm, and it's the only organic seed farm in the country. And Madeline McKeever is the farmer on that seed farm. Madeline, good morning. Good morning. Good and good to speak with you on the opinion line. An organic seed farmer so you don't grow crops you grow seeds well i suppose seeds are a crop as well yeah. aren't they yeah um but we we grow mostly vegetable seeds so we don't have a lot we do do some cereal but um not a lot yeah how did you get into that i suppose it was a de- desperate attempt to avoid getting a real job you know <laughs> i love the name brown envelope seeds um, yeah, I suppose it, when I started doing the seeds, the only suitable available small um, envelopes were the wage pockets, you know, that you could get in any stationery shop. So that that's how they got the name. Mm. Why does this mean so much to you? You're a botanist uh, by profession. Why does this mean so much to you, Madeline? Well, I think there's a serious loss of agricultural biodiversity going on. And I suppose I'm trying to, in my own little way, 
gather together some of the heritage seeds, but also just the seeds that are useful varieties to grow here. Yeah. I note you grow an awful lot of different types of tomato, for example. Yeah, I'm a bit of a tomato head, yeah. Yeah, I love tomatoes. And there are thousands and thousands of, of, of um, varieties, and they're relatively easy to do. Mm. So, you know, so I can go into a shop and I can buy a couple of bags of seeds here and there and take them home and plant them. What's the difference between those seeds and your seeds? Um, well, I suppose not many seeds that you get in Ireland are grown in Ireland. So, you know, they're probably coming from somewhere warmer and sunnier. Okay. okay. Although we do live in the warmest, sunniest part of Ireland down here, but... Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, if they grow for me, they should grow for you. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's on the increase. People trying their own crops in the garden. It's on the increase again. Yeah, well, it's nice to go out and pick a few tomatoes or a bit of salad or you know whatever yeah. you fancy. How easy is it to start? What do you need? Do you need a large window box? Do you need a patch? Do you need a tub? Well, you could start with a yogurt pot, really, couldn't you? Um, <laughs> and put a put a salad in it or a parsley plant. You know that's. And you could go onto a window box or a raised bed in the garden, and it's—it's it's, not—it's like anything. It's not hard to do, but it's hard enough to do well. Yeah, yeah. Like most people would have a small patch of earth that you could put a few seeds into. What's the easiest one to start with, say? Oh God, I don't know. You know, it—it it depends. Some things will just get eaten straight away by slugs. Yeah. Um, and other things will be fine. It, it depends what you like eating too. I would yeah. say salad is probably the easiest and quickest thing to do in a window box. Yeah, like that's your your passion is getting people to grow their own stuff um, and starting small. Well, I think yeah, my my mission statement is to enable people to grow their own food. So that I would like to to see people doing a bit in their back garden, but I also think we're you know our whole food security is under threat by from a number of angles at the moment, whether it's the war in Ukraine or climate change. Yeah. Um, we're importing most of our food into Ireland that we actually eat. Yeah. Um, you know, we import like two-thirds of our potatoes or something. Like, that's mad. Yeah, yeah. But people seem to get really interested in this during lockdown, and you had a huge demand yes. in, in 2020. Yes. People had Couldn't time on their hands to, to sort of watch a few crops, and, and you had you were very busy. Yeah, we were very busy, yeah. And, of course, I was on my own because my daughter got elected to the Doyle. Yeah, yes. And um, and I couldn't really employ anyone with the size of the office and the lockdown, you know? <laughs> I know, yeah. You mentioned the, the, the war, and we are looking down the tracks of the shortages of an awful lot of things. We're already, we're already feeling the, the shortage of a lot of things. Do you think that will lead to more people trying to grow their own? I hope it will lead to a lot more small market gardens actually because right. I think there is actually you know they, they don't they, you don't they don't really appear in the statistics but there are a lot of people in West Cork making a living from growing vegetables yeah and um, um, it, 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 they're not going to get rich but it does make the country food secure if there's you know if there are enough people doing small market gardening and there's a lot of young people that would like to farm and they've no access to land but if they could possibly get into market gardening. So where do you see your own business growing like your seeds? Where do you, what do you see as your next steps? Well, my, what I've done actually 
during the lockdown, I, I started a second website, which is called cd.ie, S-E-E-D-I-E dot I-E, um, on, up to, onto which other people can upload their seeds and sell them. Because, like, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to my bus pass at this stage. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and I, I'd like to see the country more seed secure. Because whatever about being food secure, we've, we import nearly all the seeds into the country. 99% probably of seeds are imported into the country. Right. And that's your website. Any, and anybody can sell seeds on cd.ie. Yes. Yes. And the brown envelope... Uh, what's that? What's the website there? Just for, for well, people. Well, that's brownenvelopeseeds dot com, but actually, it's not working right at the moment. So I'm moving all my stuff over to CD as well. You can pay with PayPal in it, but ever since these phone authentications came in, it's been a nightmare. And, and people can't. Some days it'll work, and people can use the card, and other days it won't work. So yeah. anyway, yeah, it might be a, a project for the May Bank Holiday weekend to go onto CD dot buy a few seeds, and start teaching the children how to grow their own. Might be a good support plan. some of the new support some of the new growers the new seed growers you know as well because there's, there's about six or eight new growers up there now that are just starting out in a career of seed production and uh, it'd be great to support them too Excellent Alright Madeleine McKeever thank you very much from Brown Envelope Seeds and CD.ie Can we just talk the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Just nine hours away now from when Ed Sheeran steps out on stage at Parky Cueve. The weather forecast for the time of the gig, 11 degrees, dry and cloudy and the ever-reliable, and if it lets me down today I will throw my phone out the window, but the ever-reliable dark sky is telling me that there won't be any rain at the gig. Now, that doesn't mean that not to bring a coat or a hat or something, but the wet, the dark sky is telling me no rain during the gig tonight. Here's hoping. 0818 96 96 96. If you, if you're expressing your thoughts on extending the voting age to young people, they want to be able to vote at the age of 16. You heard Orna making the case for it. And I want to know what you think. A few years ago when we discussed this on the Opinion Line, really, it wasn't a runner. But I think times have changed. I think we've heard some great advocates for young people, particularly in the last couple of years, talking about the Leaving Cert and, you know, the the changes that had to be made and the cancellation of the Leaving Cert and talking about the combined and all that. I think I heard some great, intelligent young people, and Orna was brilliant. Really bright, really intelligent young people. And would you like to see them able to vote in, say, the next local elections, which are due to come up in, in 2024? Your thoughts are welcome between now and the end of the programme at 0818 96 96 96. The Premier League Live is back uh, this weekend. A busy day. 
Trevor and the team, uh, all powered by Talk Sport. Of course, we're nearly at the business end now of the season. Only a few weeks left in it. This weekend, live coverage of Newcastle versus Liverpool. That's 12.30. Aston Villa against Norwich City at three. Leeds against Manchester City at half past five. All brought to you by Trev and the commentary team. The Premier League live online with Now is your sport on your terms. Stream only the games that matter to you most with Now. And listen Saturday here on the Cork's 96FM app or go indeed to 96FM.ie. Have a listen to this. Everything you're about to hear is 100% human voice. Let's go. Now, that's a random clip from, I think it was Asia's Got Talent or something that I, I, I pulled it from YouTube, but there's thousands and thousands of hours of clips of that. It's called beatboxing. It's making all those sounds with the human voice and your throat and your tongue and your cheek and whatever. And the organisers of the Cork Midsummer Festival are looking for people to join free beatboxing workshops in June where you would learn to do that. And the workshop will be led by Conrad Murray. Conrad, good morning to you. Yo, morning, man. How's it going? I've often marvelled at beatboxing. It's it's an incredible skill. When did you start doing it yourself? Me, um, to be honest, it was something that um, I did from young, just listening to music, copying sounds. Mm. Um, basically, like my brother and my mate James, like we listened to an old. There was a tape where someone was beatboxing and singing at the same time, and we try and copy it over and over again. It was by Razel from the Roots, right? Uh, so it was kind of like it was just part of hip hop culture. You'd add on the beats, but now we're kind of taking it further for it, where beatboxing has become kind of an art form in and of itself, as yeah. long as still still one of those hip hop kind of art forms. You had some DJs who were hip hop DJs, and they would do a little bit of it sort of behind the record. But it, it then yeah. developed into a whole skill form of its own. Yeah, some people hold that their whole set is just beatboxing now. Or like like, like of our show, the whole show is just beatboxing. Um, as well as you combine it, you know, we, we, we combine it with other things, singing and rapping. But there, there's some people, some, like ABH, he's the UK champion, he's in the show. He could do a whole hour set just himself the whole time, just beatboxing. Wow. Um, yeah, the whole, the whole time. Yeah. Now, there's a, an event in the Everyman as part of our Midsummer Festival. It's called Frankenstein, How to Make a Monster. That's a beatbox event. And then you got the workshop to train people to, to get involved in that. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to do workshops. And that's for people that have never done it before. But also any local artists who maybe maybe already beatbox or fancy themselves as beatboxers. We're going to come together. We're going to teach you kind of our practice and how to beatbox. Yeah. And then we invite those people that come, any any of them come, local artists or newbies, to perform at the start of our show. So um, to kind of share that platform with them, because even though our show's toured, toured international, won awards, whatever, wherever we perform the show, we also let the local young people and, and artists and uh, perform at, at, as a curtain raiser for the performance. Yeah. Do that again. <laughs> <laughs> Goes to show you don't need big mic effects. You just do it. It's great. It's great. Uh, you know you can now study 
hip-hop in university here in Cork. So, I mean, we really are well into it. We've got a very big local hip-hop and, and rap scene that we've had for, for quite a few years. Must be, have you, you've never been here, though, have you? I've never been there, but I've heard a lot about Cork and about like kind of the music scene. So I reckon we'll probably meet actually. I reckon a lot of good, quite a good artists, like really good artists. So hopefully they can perform yeah. uh, on our curtain raiser as well. But I have yeah, a lot of people say to us, even because I'm currently in Dublin, but people but are like, have you been to Cork? Have you been to Cork? Yeah. Uh, and it's like, no, I haven't, but we're going. And some guy, what did he shout at us? He said, up the parish, up the flats, something like that. <laughs> up, the, <laughs> up the parish, up the cabin. Is, is it, we got a whole <laughs> studio and a whole um, set up up, the, up in the north side of the city um, run by a guy called Gary McCarthy called, called The Cabin. You need to talk to those people when you're down here. So you're coming down. When, when can people get involved and how can they get involved? Uh, so if they go onto the if they if they go onto the the festival's website, uh, they can find out um, like that you, you sign up online, and and they can come. But to be honest, even if they just turn up, they could they could get involved. But if from the four, the workshops are from the fourteenth to the to the sixteenth, because uh, then the shows are are the seventeenth eighteenth. But yeah, that in any any times of, uh, that week. But if you go online to the festival right. website, uh, okay. it, it'll be that like, you can sign up. And it's free. Okay. Look forward to it, Conrad, and thank you very much. Conrad Murray, beatboxer and hip-hop artist, coming to Cork as part of the Midsummer Festival to teach people to do what he just did there, uh, live on the air. As part of Cork Midsummer Festival, you'll find the Midsummer, find all the details on the Midsummer Festival website, 0818 96 96 96. I know PJ is very into politics. Can you just address why 16-year-olds voting is even in an issue? When all we get is Finnegale, Finnefall governments, and even when one of them lose, they just hide in the Shannon for a few years. Yeah. <laughs> I'm... Yeah. Bernie says, I don't think they're mature enough to vote at 16. I'd increase the age to 20. If you saw the carry-on of some of the young people in town last weekend, and I know it's not them all, and I know there's lots of very smart young people, but some of them aren't mature enough, and they're making town a very scary place with their behaviour. Dee says, I remember getting involved in this topic a few years ago, PJ. My view hasn't changed. Lower the age today. I feel more passionately about it, listening to young people who've spoken on your show about earning their right to have a voice, especially with how they've adapted to life in school during a pandemic, a global crisis, and now a war. And they're always coming up with business ideas and giving their time to places like nursing homes. Mick says, if they're happy to have the voting at 16, would they be happy to have full criminal responsibility at 16? I mean, after all, they're saying they're adults who can reason about the consequences of their decisions. High opinion, I think most 16-year-olds now have more cop on than a lot of middle-aged people like myself. Why shouldn't they have a vote for their future? Well, then PJ would be a bad idea to lower the age of voting. Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil have been taking the Irish people for a ride. Can you imagine what they do to the younger generation? The thing is, as I've said for many years, and to that first person there who talked about me being into, interested in politics, and I have been interested in politics since I was a young lad, the problem is that change is made by those who turn up. And I've said for many years, if you don't vote, you did nothing to change it. So maybe if all these young people want so passionately to vote, then let them vote. And, and let's see who they'll vote for. Because what happens is that the establishment 
always gets the vote out. Always. It's just how they do it. So when the young people get their chance, they're more anti-establishment than other sections of society. So why not give the young people? I tell you one thing, and I just said, if you gave the young people the vote tomorrow, a lot of people who are very comfortable in their jobs would start feeling uncomfortable in those self-same jobs, I think. 0818 96 96 96. <laughs> it would make my whole year if PJ did a beatbox. I can't co- cope with how cultured he is. <laughs> All right. No, no, not a good idea. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. We're back to the music. The Quartz 96FM music panel gives you the power to pick our playlist. Click 96FM.ie now. 96FM.ie now. Take the 10-minute survey and you could win a 100 euro Just Eat voucher. The power to pick what we play. Pick what we play. Let's get down, let's get down to business. Join the Quartz 96FM music panel. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Or see 96FM.ie. Quartz 96FM. Here's one I've been holding this off for a day or two and I want to read it to you um, because it came in about... We were talking about the guards earlier in the week and talking about the shortage of guards in the city and, and how certain areas are now without guards because guards are being assigned to guard the Taoiseach's house and all that. And we got this email to opinion at 96fm.ie. Morning, PJ. I was listening to the show. You were talking to a guard and discussing the shortage of guardi. That was uh, Podrick from the Garda Representative Association. Why do they make the entry requirements so difficult my son applied in April. Uh, previously, he had laser... April last year, I assume. Previously, he had laser eye surgery as 2020 vision is an entry requirement, as is having a second language. He did Leaving Cert Irish last year, only to find that this year the second language requirement was dropped. He did a gather entry preparation course and went ahead with his application. He got 20 out of 20 in verbal ability and 5 out of 20 in numerical ability. Why in goodness name is such a high level of maths required? He hasn't got a letter yet stating that he's out of the competition. I heard later that the test used was the same one they use for sergeants. It, it, is, tif- it is difficult. I, I know a lad who got into the guards a few years ago and he said the hardest part was getting in. The training and the job he loves, but the hardest part was getting in. 0818 96 96 96. I want to talk to Orla Egan who's a historian specialising in LGBTQ+. And there is a movie has been made and will be shown about the history of the LGBTQ plus community in Cork. It's called I'm Here, I'm Home and I'm Happy. And it's being shown on the 4th of May. Uh, Orla, where's the event on first? Good morning. Doing um, the film I'm Here, I'm Home, I'm Happy will be screening in the Cork City Library uh, next Wednesday, the 4th of May, at um, 6.30 in the evening. Um, and really grateful to the library for hosting this. They're always so open and welcoming and supportive and such an accessible venue for events like this. 
Um, and I made the film as part of my voluntary work with the Cork LGBT archive. Um, and I set up the archive because I knew we had this amazing, rich history of LGBT activism and community in Cork, but that it was a hidden history, you know, and I wanted to gather it and preserve it and share it and, you know, basically make Cork queer history hard to ignore. Yeah. Um, so the the film is kind of part of this work because what I try to do is try to create dynamic and interesting ways for people to engage with the history, you know, to bring the history to life. And so, you know, there's a physical collection that's in the Cork Public Museum. There's a digital archive. But I've also written a book called Queer Republic of Cork, a short theatre piece called Leaside Leslie's. There's been uh, exhibitions displayed in various venues in Cork and Belfast and Berlin, uh, walking tours, and now this film, um, I'm here, I'm home, I'm happy. Um, and I suppose the kind of central question that's explored in the film is, is what happens when you find community, when you find your tribe? Yeah. Um, and it explores, you know, through various voices, you know, the experiences of some LGBT people in Cork in the 1970s and 80s talking about the community spaces, the parties, the pubs, the clubs, the political activism and the fun, you know. Mm. So basically what we're doing is using extracts from views and items from the Cork LGBT archives to explore the lives of LGBT people in Cork in the 1970s and 1980s Mm. and exploring that kind of sense of connection and belonging and mutual support and fun. Uh, for LGBT people at a time when criminalisation and prejudice and discrimination. Yeah. I had a dear friend in school um, who was, uh, I'm talking the, the 80s here, who was gay. And uh, unfortunately, he's no longer with us. But, but at the time, the, the fun that he and the LGBT community at the time had, it was a kind of an underground fun because, like you said, it was a criminal offence back then to be gay but I remember meeting up with him in in later years and and talking about it because I then got involved in music and entertainment and nightclubs and all that our paths crossed Mm -hmm. rather a lot there was a lot of fun to be had in the 80s Ola Absolutely you know I mean it was a time of heightened political activism but also I think the Cork community has always had that sense of playfulness along with the serious political issues and campaigns Um, and I think it's also for me it's really important to talk about the story of the Cork LGBT community as agents of change. You know, that we were central players in bringing about social change in Ireland, but also about changing the narratives about what it means to be lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, you know, that we're not sick sinners or criminals. And also then changing the lived experiences of LGBT people in Ireland, you know, and I think it's really important, especially for younger people, to understand that recent changes like marriage equality, that didn't come out of the blue, you know, it built on decades of activism, of people being brave and sassy and demanding equality and respect. And I suppose for me, that's really important for young people, young LGBT people in particular, to have that sense of our history, you know, of the connection between where we came from and where we are now and how change happens. And and to see the pride and the fun and the strength and the resilience and resistance that it wasn't all negative, you know. There were some phenomenal characters uh, in the community. I mean, I remember the late, great and much loved Dave Roach, for example. Uh, Absolutely. And Dave Gordon, you know, great, great people. 
Absolutely. And I'm really, really delighted to have Dave Roach be part of the film and Dave oh. Roach talking about Dave Gordon as part of the film. Oh, and, and it's, you know, it's about capturing those stories and those voices that could be lost, you know, yeah. and... You know, especially, you know, Dave is such a, a kind of well-loved kind of character in Cork and coordinator of the Gay Project and a long-time activist that we lost a few years ago. And some of Dave's family are actually going to be coming to the screening. Um, and, and I think that that's so important about, like, not losing that history. Mm. And also then other... Um, long-time Cork activists like Joan McCarthy and Cockle Kerrigan and Helen Slattery, and they're going to be taking part in the panel discussion after the film, you know. Um, and, it, you know, it is just, you know, some of the stories that, that need yeah. to be told. I mean, we're, we're hoping to kind of capture some more oral histories uh, this yeah. summer with, with some support from the Heritage Council, you know. But, I mean, I suppose one of the things I have to say is, you know, the, the work of the Park LGBT Archive and in, in creating things like this, it's all done on a voluntary basis. You know, uh, we get little bits of funding and that funding is really important from places like the Heritage Council or Park City Council, but there's no core funding. You know, it's this voluntary passion project, you know. So mm. so it's a low-budget film and I hope nobody's coming expecting kind of Hollywood production standards, but uh, I think it tells, you know, that really important story, you know. Do, do you touch upon, because I remember at the time, you know, friend, having friends in that community and how terrified they were of the developing story of AIDS. Do you touch on that? Um, a little bit, yeah. but, um, you know, I think it's it's kind of focusing really on how the community kind of come together. And I think one of the things about the, the AIDS epidemic was that it was the community, the Cork LGBT community, that had to respond to that um, because the government wasn't doing it. Um, so the first um, leaflet that was produced in Ireland around AIDS was produced in Cork in 1984, I think. And Cork activists were very involved in setting up Gay Health Action and also setting up uh, the organisation CORDA, which provided that kind of very hands-on uh, support to people who were affected by HIV and AIDS, you know. And I think it's that sense of community almost as family and providing kind of that support that, that a family would, you know, and I suppose for me that's what it's about. For people who were isolated and who couldn't find the community, it, it was very, very difficult. But when you found the community, when you found the tribe, that it was just, it made such a fundamental difference to your life and to your lived experience. And I think it's also around that whole thing of the LGBT community coming together in the face of prejudice and discrimination. And that's been happening a long time. Yeah. And I think that has resonance with some of what's been happening recently in response to kind of increased homophobia and transphobia and the murders of Aidan Moffat and Michael Smee and Sligo yeah. and Timmy Howerton here in Cork. Yeah. You know, what? in response to that, what the Cork LGBT community did is we came together colourfully, visibly, with pride and gathered in Bishop Lucy Park with pride flags flying and with the support of our allies. Very clear, visible support from City Council, from the Lord Mayor, from the guys that you were just talking about a little while ago. And it's all about that pride in the face of prejudice. Yeah. All right. It's the Wednesday, Wednesday the 4th of May at the library. Are there tickets needed? 
Orla? Um, yes, it's a free event, but uh, you need to book a ticket on Eventbrite. So if you look up, I'm here, I'm home, I'm happy on Eventbrite. And just to say that there's also going to be an Irish Sign Language interpreter at the event. And really grateful to the Public Museum for, for hosting us and for the support that we've received from the Heritage Council, from the Clark Gate Project. And also just need to say um, Edmund... Um, Edmund and Blanket Lynch in Dublin has uh, captured around 300 um, oral history interviews and he's uh, enabled us to use some of those as part of this. So I'm really grateful for that. Excellent. All right. And we've posted the link with all the information needed on the Twitter. All right. On our Twitter. Thanks very much, Orla, and good luck with that event next week. It's uh, I'm here, I'm home, I'm happy. It's a history of the LGBT movement in Cork. Uh, I met, uh, I'll, I'll name him because uh, Alan O'Flynn was his name. Uh, we met in fifth year, fourth or fifth year in uh, Christry and we became firm friends. And Alan passed away a few years ago in, in the UK. But Alan, when he would come over and back, he, he, and I met through him. I met other members of the community. And when I think of the eighties and working in the entertainment game and working in nightclubs and all of that, the fun that we had with them. Uh, yeah, Dave Roach. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Dave Roach is R.I.P. A number of years ago, died quite suddenly. Actually, a number of years ago, I did know that someone was ringing to ask, "Did I know members of his family would be at that?" That showing, and also Dave Gordon uh, was uh, he was a great choreographer and great character. They were, I think, there one is in the film talking about the other, is what Orla was saying. If there's one art form that I, I kind of sometimes I'll see a bit of poetry and and I'll say, Yeah, that's very nice, that's kind of nice, whatever. But poetry is an art form that I, I, I've, I've often found a little bit. Liz Kelly, Director of Poetry Ireland, I've always found it a small bit inaccessible sometimes. Good morning, but today is Poetry Day. That's correct, Poetry Day Ireland. Thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, we've Poetry Day Ireland today, all day, all over Ireland, mm. with over 100 events happening right across the country, east, west, north and south. And um, a very, very enthusiastic response, actually, from the public yeah. in terms of embracing poetry and embracing Poetry Day and setting up all kinds of events all over Ireland um, with poetry at, as the focus. So um, it, 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 uh, it, it, it's an art form, actually, that people have very much reached for over the last couple of years. Yeah. You know, during lockdown and during COVID, people found great salve and um, comfort and fun sometimes. And um, really they found everything that they needed in poetry. We, we have found it actually that poetry, more than any literary art form over the last couple of years, has been the one that people have reached for, in fact. Mm. And uh, certainly audiences for poetry are growing and are yeah. testament to that. At, at the very start of the pandemic, when we were in lockdown and things looked horrible and bleak and dark, and they were indeed horrible and bleak and dark for many months, there was a poem, for example, that people used to read a lot of, that everything will be all right. Do you remember that one? That's correct, Sheila. That's Derek Mahans. And then, um, I mean, who, who, um, Seamus Heaney's off quoted lines by our various politicians as well, uh, over the course of the pandemic. And of course, our poet president who, you know, penned a poem and has been a huge, um, 
a huge cheerleader really for poetry and language uh, over the course of all of the of, of the difficulties that people have experienced over the last two years. But when our, our politicians are reaching for poetry and it, it, it in a sense says everything that they need to say um, as much as, 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 as we need to hear, uh, you know, it really is. It really is a moment for poetry. It, it, it is in, I would say, rude good health in terms mm. of the public perception of it. Yeah, and a, indeed, there's a lot of poetry being written. New poetry, huge amount of new poetry being written, and we have this incredible diversity now of poets in Ireland because um, I suppose we have this international reputation for being a, a, a country which is at its best under language. We are good with language, but. Uh, and we have, as I say, international renown with our poets between the Van Boland and, um, you know, Seamus, Seamus Heaney, mm. Derek Mahan, Michael Longley, you know, and Paula Meehan, uh, Rhys Ann Higgins, who has, of course, selected the poems for Poems for Pillows, where the entire the, the health service is actually distributing poems today as well to patients as part of Poetry Day Ireland through the health service. So it, it, it is multidimensional, but certainly there's a new raft of poets um, many of whom are not of Irish heritage. They're possibly people who are first genera- generation Irish or who have come here from elsewhere and who are living here, who are really coming to the fore. The likes of Nisi Kassa, who's got a new collection coming out. Mm. Um, you know, Feli Speaks. And a huge amount of spoken word as well, very much taking centre stage yeah. uh, in terms of, of pushing poetry out there and making it an experience that everybody can access, really. I remember talking to someone a while back but this thing I mentioned there before I brought you in about how sometimes I felt that poetry was kind of I couldn't engage with it and then then I had a conversation and you're quoting this and you're quoting that you're quoting poetry you're you're admiring poetry not even realising you're doing it it's something that can suck you in very quickly. Like I mentioned, that another one that came up during, and it's not an Irish one, but another one that came up during the pandemic was uh, Max Boyce, the, the Welsh comedian, uh, did a mm-hmm. beautiful piece called Only the Tide Went Out. That's right. It's able yes, to capture a moment. It is. It's able to capture a moment and an emotion. And, um, and certainly people have been, you know, as I say, reaching for poetry because it, it's kind of like a nourishing meal. It has everything that you need right there, you know, in, in, in often in quite, in just a few sentences sometimes, just a yeah. few words or phrases. Um, and uh, whatever poetry excess, I mean, we, at the moment, uh, you will see in your local library pocket poems that Poetry Ireland produces every year now for Poetry Day Ireland. Usually producers little postcards with poems on the back this year under our theme of Written in the Stars. So a selection of poems which capture that theme. And in fact, you can pick those up for free in your local library. And I've noticed that people are picking them up and actually collecting them. We've been running Poetry Day Ireland for the last eight years and people have been collecting these pocket poems and yeah. keeping them because they're beautiful objects as well. They're beautifully designed and, you know, people people love to have them. They're lovely things to own, lovely objects. Um, and poetry books, like they're so manageable, you you know they're they're often they're often quite small. They're kind of slim enough volumes, so people are we we are finding that certainly poetry books and poetry sales um, are enjoying a moment as well. That people are looking to them, and you know we can honestly say in Poetry Ireland that we regularly get requests for you know poems for weddings or funerals or mm. events in people's lives, birthdays, etc. People often will kind of look up our website and 
you know, search around, dig around for the poem that they need for a person or for a moment in a person's life. So there's a poem for every occasion and poets are brilliant at that business of capturing moments in people's lives simply because, of course, they're capturing moments in their own lives as well and then sending those words out into the world to share with all of us. Tell me me about poetry in the park because it's going on all day. It is. It's fabulous. Like Cork, Cork is busy with poetry. Fantastic poets in Cork. And of course, you've got the wonderful Munster Literature Centre and you have, you know, West Cork Literary Festival and you have wonderful, wonderful poets and poetry going on in Cork. And this year, the poets are taking over the parks all day um, between the walkways, Jerry O'Sullivan Park, the Marina, Fitzgerald Park, Tamar Valley Park, Ballancolic Regional Park. So in each of these parks throughout the day, poets are going to pop up um, the lesser known alongside the well known um, and reads for people completely free of charge. All you have to do is stand and have a listen. And you won't regret it. There's, poetry is always surprising. You know, there's always something in it for every single person. Mm-hmm. And you've also got this gorgeous thing run, which Cork County um, um, County Arts, the County Council Library and Arts Services running, which is written in the stars. So they've invited poets in Cork to respond to the theme of written in the stars. And those poems will be appearing on their social media channels as well all day today. Um, and another thing that's interesting about the about the Cork Poetry Day event is that there's such a great kind of tradition of writers groups and literary groups um, mm. often managed and run through the library service. And there's a couple of those taking place in Castletown Bear. There's a literary group down there. They're having a, um, an event this evening at 7.30, again, bringing people together to, to explore the idea of written in the stars. There's a poetry reading in Newmarket Library. There's an open mic session in North Street, 49 North Street. And then another reading in Mallow Library. But what is interesting is the engagement by people who dabble and who are interested in just in writing themselves and who are coming together for the event. So you have the the, the poets, the published poets, alongside those who are having a go, alongside those kind of emerging and newer voices. And they're all happening in Cork all day today. And maybe alongside people like me who used to think they were intimidated by it, but now are kind of saying, this is amazing. It is amazing. It's like a, I mean, it's like a, your favourite song. You know, I mean, we grew up, I suppose, learning poetry at school. But yes. it's a good thing. It's a good thing to learn poetry at school. Because but it was drilled can, into us, and maybe that put a lot of us off. It was kind of drilled into us rather than learn to appreciate it. Yeah, well, I suppose I suppose that that, that was I suppose that was the way you know the people did learn things by rote. But it's a good thing. It's a good thing to be able to summon a poem or a song when you're called upon to do so. So it's always handy to have one in your back pocket, which is where the pocket poems come in really, really handy. Um, so do pick them up in the libraries. They really are lovely things to have. Okay, listen, good to speak with you, and enjoy the day, Poetry Day Ireland, twenty twenty two, and that is uh, Liz Kelly. Uh, written in the stars is the theme and there's events on all over the city and, and county just on uh, and it's to do with poetry but not to do it with poetry in Ireland I, I, as I said to you I was kind of intimidated by it but then something will jump out and go hey that's great there's a young very young Scottish poet her name is Len Penny. I know, strange name. She goes under the name of Lentil Pentel, which is even stranger again. She's a young Scottish woman and she writes poetry and she performs poetry. And she also teaches the Scots lingo and the Scots language on TikTok and Twitter. And I've been getting into her stuff over the last uh, couple of uh, months. Her poetry is absolutely great. And there's a lot of it out there. But our Irish stuff is about the best in the world.
and today they're celebrating it. Poetry Day Ireland. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Talked to Moraid earlier on about the arrangements for this evening for the Ed Sheeran gig and getting there and getting back and what you can and can't do and where you can and can't park and all that. And she was going back to Bosseran Forest to check out something. Unfortunately, there were no shuttle buses up and down this evening. Both Aaron have told Moraid no shuttle buses up and down to Parky Creeve. And I know some people will be very disappointed with that. I watched a little film uh, just one morning here this week. Uh, it's, it's, it's a short one. It's just on, it's under 15 minutes. It's called Hoodwinkers. And it's a comedy. And it's made on a shoestring here in Cork uh, about a bunch of students that get up to mischief around the oral Irish exam. Neve Kremen is, is one of the actors in it. It's hilarious, Neve. Morning to you. Oh, hi. Hi, PJ. How are you? Thank you so much. Yeah, it was such a fun short film to do, especially being, you know, a young director and a young cast as well. You know, everybody, we all had so much fun shooting it. And of course, it took in COVID and all those things. Just... For people who haven't seen it, it's it's about a bunch of students who go partying the night before their oral Irish. Yes, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's basically about a group of students, and I think that Michael, the director, really captured sort of all the different types of students really well in the classroom. So it sort of shows all the different types of students, and they party the night before the leaving cert oral Irish exam and they must find a way to pass it. So I suppose it's sort of taking a laugh out of something that's so serious, you know what I mean? And just having a laugh about that. Mm. Now, in putting together a short film that's a heck of a lot of work, what, what was the experience like? Yes, totally. So Michael firstly um, devised the script and, you know, he sort of went to people that he knows. So I had met him before at a different um uh, Zoom workshop, which was fab that, you know, over lockdown, we were able to meet so many people online. So then he got in contact and there was a cast of around 10 of us. And we shot for one day in his school in St. Francis in Rochestown, mm. um, which was fab that we had the school to ourselves because it was over the summer holidays. And he got in contact then as well with um, Dominic McHale, who was from the Young Offenders, who was a past pupil of the yes, school. Yeah. And he, yeah, he very kindly... Um, plays the role of the teacher in it so it was I think it all came together so well in the end and it was only shot in one day which was you yeah. know such a great achievement to get it done yeah I, I, that was fascinating because I read that the only one I mean there's so much in it so many different different scenes and yeah. just just all one day and it's getting a lot of recognition yes it is and um just most recently, we went to Limerick um, for Fresh International Film Festival. It was screened on RTE, which was so exciting to see, you know, we could see ourselves in the audience. They sort of had a bit of an award ceremony. And it, what Fresh is, is it's a film festival for films made by young people. So I think that they had close to 10,000 submissions of films and 25 of the best then went to the Odeon and Limerick for the screening of the award ceremony, which was such a great experience Crikey. to meet all those people as well. Crikey. Yeah. How, do you, how does it feel to be shaken down into, from such a big entry into being part of the final gala? That's got to be a buzz. Yeah, totally. And I mean, you, you'd be so surprised at the standard of 
films made by young people. Like I was just sitting there just watching these films and I was like, I couldn't believe that all these people were under 18 and they had managed to, you know, get the equipment and write the script and just make the films there themselves. So there was huge talent there. So it was absolutely amazing to be selected. Do you know what it's like? Well, what is it like to sit there in a cinema like that and, and your your film comes on on a big screen and you see yourself? How does that feel? Yeah. It was it was gas watching it because we actually had the premiere of it in um, the Real Ban and Colleague in September and Michael, it was all of our first time seeing it. So we none of us had ever seen it before. So we were like nervous of how because, you know, I suppose when you're in something, you're really handing it off. And the director and the editor has the freedom to select what the final thing will look like. So we were like, it was good that we heard some laughs in the audience. So it was being perceived yeah. well, you know, that people liked it. Thank God. Yeah, now you have a leaving cert in what, five weeks time or five and a half weeks yeah. time. Would yeah. you like to do more film work after as a career? Yeah, I'm I'm hoping to. And actually, just this summer, myself and Michael have landed roles in our first feature film, which is sort of our first full-length thing. Brilliant. It's being... Yeah, I think Steve from Deep Red was actually on with you a couple of weeks ago. Um, it's called A Hell of a Difference. Oh, yeah. Um, it'll be... Yeah, so that's a Cork production again, which is amazing because production's really booming in Ireland at the moment, which is... You know, it's looking good for actors in Cork yeah. and in Ireland. So yeah, hopefully. it is, and, and of course, we've got a, 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 a whole studio being developed in West Cork over the next couple of years, which will be even more exciting. Yeah, so I, I wish I wish you good luck with the leaving search when it comes around, Neve. And congratulations oh, to you. all involved. It's great fun. It's it's worth trying to find it and, and have a look for it if you see it turning up anywhere. Hoodwinkers, it's called. Uh, that's Neve Kremen, one of the lead actors in it. 0818 96 96 96. Edward was on. I just want to alert people to a new scam that I've become aware of. A guy is contacting people, telling them he needs to check their gas meters. He had my phone number and my email, and he knew my meter had been changed recently. I contacted Gas Network Ireland. They confirmed it was a scam. I just want to warn people to be on the lookout for this. It's very, very sophisticated. Thanks for that, Edward. Just before we go... Sharon Fever is taking over Cork. We're throwing the biggest pre-parties on Side before you head to end. Cork's 96 FM. Yeah. Just over eight hours before he hits the stage. But before that again, you can head off down to Tequila Jack's. Four o'clock. The vibe for Ed Sheeran live as we welcome him to Side, KC and Simon Murdoch on the decks the street fleet will be there freebies up for grabs you'd never know what you might get on the boardwalk at Tequila Jack's from 4 it's the biggest free party on Side. before you head down to Ed starts today at 4 starts tomorrow at 4 at Tequila Jack's the only place to be in Cork City before you head down to Ed Thursday and Friday from 4 I have to tell you I know I've been going on and on about it all week, but trust me when I tell you, you'll know, if you've seen it tonight, you'll know why I was banging on about it. Get down there and enjoy it. Program edited by Fiona Corker and produced and researched by Fergal Barry. Enjoy the gig if you're going. You'll hear it wherever you are, whether you're going or not. I will talk to you tomorrow just after nine. Can we just talk? 
the opinion line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie.